Hello, welcome to season three of Power Talk, the lockdown edition. Power Talk is a short, powerful interviews from leading youth violent experts, spreading new ideas and sharing best practice. Today, we are joined by a group of youth workers who talk about their experience engaging with young people in this period of COVID-19. We talk about best practices, some of the challenges and some of the things they see that young people are going to have to be dealing with once we eventually come out of this phase. Nice one. Welcome to Power Talk Season 3, the lockdown edition. As you can see, I'm in my mobile office, um, my car, (laughs) which is a lot better than being in my house with my three screaming children. But today I'm really excited because I have a group of extremely gifted individuals. They sound like, that sounds like I'm talking like about X-Men or Avengers. <laughs> they, they could be that type of thing. And you can work out who's who afterwards. But I'm really excited because today what we want to talk about is uh, young people, youth work, and how we are adapting to these challenges around COVID-19. So I just want to uh, get these guys just to introduce themselves. So on my screen, maybe I'll go, let me do ladies first, actually. Uh, Ruth, would you like to just introduce yourself, who you are, what you do? Um, hi, I'm Ruth Samuels. I work for All Saints Peckham Church, so right in the centre of Peckham. Um, I, I do the, the kind of not to 25s work, but I've got a specific remit for the kind of teenage years, so all the secondary school age. Um, it's mainly being church focused at the minute. Um, and there was a hope to do more community-focused things, but then lockdown. So that's kind of where we're at at the minute. Nice one. Thank you. Uh, Milka, would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Milka Fasiha, and I'm a consultant, so I'm freelance. I've got lots of different bits I'm doing, um, mainly around prison, so mainly helping men that are released from prison, but also doing some community work as well. Um, yeah, I think there's been some plans that I had in terms of my own plans, higher purpose programs and events, and then lockdown. So again, I have I've had to kind of postpone my own kind of um, yeah, my own events and programs as well. Nice one. Um, and on my screen to my left is Femi. Would you like to introduce yourself to the world? So my name is Femi Colioso. I'm a musician, full-time musician. So. Previously to lockdown, the plan was I was in the middle of a world tour. So I just started in Asia, Australia and was meant to be making it across. But lockdown changed the vibration. But alongside being a musician, I am also the youth leader in Jubilee Church, London in Enfield. So, um, yeah, that's that's where I'm at right now. And obviously the life change being a musician to not being able to play any shows has changed a lot of things. But, you know, there's definitely a blessing through the storm. So, yeah, that's a little bit of who I am. I love the way man just dropped in the World Tour. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just having a cup of tea and biscuits and a World Tour. But no, it's cool. that, that was the plan anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. We've actually had your brother on, on, on Power Talk and um, yes. worth mentioning that your group is Ezra Collective, an incredible group. Um, so thank you. And last but not least, um, a good friend of mine, you're all good friends, but you know, this is another good friend of mine. Uh, Claude, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm uh, Claude Murray. I work for a youth charity called XLP that works in nine different London boroughs. Uh, My role within the organisation is a lead safeguarding officer and mentor manager. Um, Outside of XLP, uh, I'm a counsellor and an artist, a hip-hop artist. Haven't touched the world tour yet, but... Soon. You weren't on the world tour even, eh? Bless. Cool. No, this is really helpful. Thank you so much for your time. Let's get straight into it. So, obviously, all of you in different ways. We're engaging with with young people or young adults um, in different contexts. Uh, Sounds like even in the intro, you all had plans. We all had plans, didn't we? To to do something. Um, What what changed? So, I suppose, obviously, there's a lot of conversation about how we can no longer do the face-to-face work. Um, how has that impacted you? We hear it in the press a lot, but how has that actually impacted you that no longer can you actually see the young people or the clients or the young adults face to face? Let me go. Let me go to. Uh, let me go to Milka first. How's that? How's that in, in, impacted you? 
Um, so I think just because I do quite a few things, I'll speak about mainly um, the prison element of work that I'm doing. So I'm currently consulting for Three Pillars program. So they work within prisons, deliver eight week program in prisons. And then they also have a, we've just developed a, a, a community project. So I had kind of, I was working with the guys that were released. So I had, a, um, I had someone that I was working with and that, I think it, it, it's difficult when you're not doing face-to-face. -face. One, you don't get to see the body language. You, won't, you don't get to see the, just the hidden elements of communication. I think body language tone has so much in terms of um, relaying the message. I think that's been quite difficult in terms of, we have phone calls, we have catch-ups, not as often or as frequent as the face-to-face. Um, also, the, the guys that I was working with that were on rottle or day release, again, that just suddenly just shut down. Um, so that's been quite difficult. Um, just, I think, the element of continuation, the support or continuation of the actual one-to-one -one therapeutic work is definitely harder when you're not physically in the room with somebody. Um, not impossible, but definitely harder to kind of reach, schedule and have a safe space to kind of go into conversations as you would face-to-face. -face. Um, so yeah, definitely challenging in that sense. Yeah, that's um, it's really insightful. So it's interesting what you're saying just about some people were on day release and then they've had yeah. to psychologically what type of impact does that have on somebody knowing that they were going to be out for a period of time obviously looking forward to it um and now they've been brought back in How, what's that kind of what's the I impact think on that? definitely it will have lots of impact in terms of just even the day routine so the routine was the guys would be released early and they would have the day of work. I guess it would be the training sessions that you would have at Three Pillars, having a mentor, myself. Taking all of that away is kind of your inner cell. You probably will not have your free flow like before, probably 23 hours, if I'm honest. Um, definitely, psychologically, I, I do think that there is impact but depending on the guys and their experience of coping mechanisms, I know one of them does meditation um, in his cell and things like that. So it depends on their coping strategies, but definitely impact in terms of you're sitting there with the feelings. Sometimes when you slow down, everything kind of crumbles into, yeah, kind of crumbles in in that sense. So you're thinking about maybe family outside. You're thinking probably about just opportunities and the work the drive was there you know you're getting ready for work and work in a sense where being at three pillars having a training placement it definitely i think would have impact um mm. i haven't had that much contact with the guys again having someone building a relationship and then you take that away i think that would definitely um impact or hopefully not impact it too much but it will impact our relationship as well yeah. um when you don't have that communication regularly and you're just back in prison um, yeah. so maybe motivation as well um, might might kind of reduce in this time yeah and that's helpful because it's obviously stories you don't tend to hear in the press you don't ever get the perspective of what it's like when you're incarcerated and how covid is impacting so again it's really helpful just to just to hear um i'm going to come to uh, femi and ruth actually because Femi, you're, you, you just introduced yourself as a, as a youth leader of a, of a church in uh, North London, uh, Jubilee, London. How many young people do you tend to engage with, with Jubilee? Um, so I think it's, it's quite hard to pinpoint the, the exact number, but between, between probably between 100 and 150, to be safe, within that bracket would be how many kids I would see on a weekly basis, be it on a Sunday in their church meeting or be it in the week, whether they have, you know, their, their small group settings or once in a while their half-term parties or something. Between 100, 100 to 150 kind of number, yeah. And, so, and Ruth, how many young people would you be engaging with or young adults in, in that context as well, in, the, in a church context? Wow, well, it's definitely not on those levels quite yet. We're kind of starting from scratch, I think, a little bit. Because um, we had amazing, amazing youth work that was happening um, a few years ago, and we've had quite a few changes in personnel and different things. So we're kind of starting 
a kind of new season um, of youth and young adult stuff. Um, in terms of not to 25s, there's, there are kind of like a couple of hundred, but in terms of young people that I would be seeing kind of on a weekly basis, it might be something around like 20, 25. Mm. Um, generally, that's that's kind of who I would be seeing um, kind of either on a Sunday or kind of a midweek group. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely not the kind of hundreds um, right. that Femi's seeing. But I suppose the point is, between the both of you, I mean, that is almost 200 people, if you're talking about 200 young people. And, you know, if you're talking about, let's say, 18 to 25, that's another, like, 100 plus. Mm-hmm. So the question I've got for both of you is, well, how how have you had to adapt? A lot of that stuff has been face-to-face. Obviously, lockdown has meant that you can't see them face-to-face. How have you adapted? How have you continued um, a very biblical term, discipleship? Um, or mentoring or engaging uh, and I suppose what has been the feeling with those young people or young adults in this period of time mm. um, I think so straight away the the aim that I had for the children the aim that the church has for the children what we see for them hasn't changed mm. you know COVID has changed all of the systems in which we get to that point but the actual that what we're trying to provide hasn't changed. And for me, it's to provide a future and a hope, you know, and I feel like a future and a hope comes from, you know, if you're coming at it from a Christian angle like myself, it comes from being rooted in Christ. But then on a, on a broader spectrum, if you like, it comes from, you know, interacting with people that are more experienced than yourselves and, you know, being embedded in places which provide you with education and provide you with foresight. So that's what I've been trying to get to happen just in front of my laptop. So the, the, the mechanisms of which we've gone about that is we have their church service hasn't changed on a Sunday. They just watch it on YouTube. The, the praise and worship will happen and the preach will happen. But where it would have been a case where I would preach to them or someone else would preach to them, now the pastor of the church is preaching to everyone so a meeting in the week with the pastor to say, don't forget, you've got your seventh watching. Mm. Don't forget, you've got your thirteens watching. And they've taken that on in such a big way. Mm. Every sermon has a moment of, it's easy for preachers to just get into that, talking about your wife and talking about your job. And I'm thinking, let's talk about year nines. So then what's yeah. been happening in the sermons is you've had examples about school and you've had examples about, you know, parents and children and, and so that's one way in which it's happened. And then on a Sunday evening, they've got their Instagram live link up, we call it. That's 6 p.m. on Instagram live. About 70 of them will lock in. It's hard to tell the numbers because there's lots of siblings and stuff. But um, that is where I try and provide that unity and family feeling that they would have got when they're just playing football with their friends or when they're all just chilling as a youth group. Try and get that in there, which I feel like, it's really easy to see your future when you see it happening around you at a similar level. It's a lot easier to see yourself doing something great if you see your friend that's in year eight doing something great. And then on uh, Thursdays, they have their small groups, which is the house party app, where that's now closer discipleship. I like that you use that word. That's where it's two leaders to six kids. And it's been the same two leaders and the same six kids for the last six weeks. So now one of the the difficulties of leading such a big youth group is that one-to-one interaction just isn't possible when you have 16 Emmanuels in one youth group, you know, mm. but now I've just got one Emmanuel to talk to on a Thursday. And now that bond is getting stronger and stronger. And there's probably about 10 to 12 of those little groups. So that's kind of how we're approaching this whole COVID yeah. situation. Yeah. All right. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a phenomenal way of just kind of like, trying to strategically work out how we how you, how you deal with, with young people in this time Ruth is that what how, I mean how, how are you kind of adapting uh, to to this new world we're in yeah well it, kind of in a, in a similar way to um, Femi in that um, when kind of slightly before we actually went into official lockdown and we were trying to think of basically the Sunday services and what they could look like for the church family I was kind of really wanting to make sure that it was a whole family thing. Um, there were kind of ideas kind of going out there and 
lots of information coming in from like different youth leaders like what are you going to be doing for your youth what are you going to be doing for your youth and I was kind of thinking things through and it didn't really sit right with me the idea that you'd have like parents sat on like maybe one laptop watching a sermon that was for them maybe like young kids before kind of secondary school doing some other sort of separate Sunday school thing and then maybe youth doing something else that didn't sit right with me and I was like we have to as a church find a way of speaking to the whole church um, and so we, we had already as a church been thinking okay how do we make sure our all-age services are genuinely all-age and not just kids services because you know how they can just kind of stray into catering to the youngest member of the church to keep to keep them happy and it's kind of like that that can't be the way forward for us so um like kind of Femi was saying just the fact that actually we're really actively intentionally going okay who have we got in front of us on youtube on a sunday morning and trying to speak to all of those levels and then after the service what um, i'm doing with our youth is a, a kind of sunday morning youth zoom chat so we'll kind of we'll link up for like 45 minutes or something like that again just keeping it short um and having fun, but also trying to just keep that connection, because I think that was the vital thing. And, and again, with what Femi was saying, what we intend for our young people hasn't changed. Um, it was always about building community, strengthening discipleship, going deeper, because until you have that kind of friendship and that connection, it's really hard to go deep, and it's really hard to kind of journey with people if you don't know them. Um, so trying to kind of keep that level of connection, so that's... Know, the Sunday service, the Sunday morning youth Zoom chat, and then we've got a couple of discipleship groups during the week that meet during um, meet on Zoom. So we've got the younger youth and then the slightly older ones. But that was the older ones was a, a group that started literally like a couple of weeks before lockdown, um, and so it was kind of like, oh man, we were just about to go on this new journey and it was going to be really great. But actually, having resources like Zoom has meant that we can we can carry on with that. So that's been good. It's really helpful, and I think what you're both um, articulated really well is what I would call contextualization. How do you contextualize your service and your 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 talks to the the audience that you've got? And I think what you said, Femi, how we change our language, uh, the illustrations that we're using. You know, I've been in plenty of church services where, and I I, I would have. I'm at fault for this as well, where you use illustrations which talk about your family or talk about your wife and then you've had people come up to you afterwards and it's like, you know what, cool, but I'm not married um, or I don't have children. So while I get your point, if I'm hearing this every single week, it's not really kind of landing in the way that you may be thinking. So I think it's really good. That, and I think with young people, it's massively important. Um, Claude, with, with XLP, obviously it's not... It's not a church-based organisation. Well, well, actually, let me let me not put words in your mouth. Explain <laughs> what XLP is and isn't. Um, and I suppose just from your perspective, because you're doing a lot more work on the ground um, with a lot more vulnerable young people. You, that's the history, 20 years plus of XLP you've been doing. Um, how have you managed to continue that work in this time? Just give us some, some, some thoughts on that. Cool. So yeah, in ter terms of the organisation, uh, uh, a Christian organisation, um, uh, but we say faith-based and not faith-biased. So mm -hmm. basically we work with every everyone, um, every community, statutory organisations, voluntary organisations, schools, uh, your youth offending teams, your CAMs and social services. Um, we work from young people uh, from nine different boroughs, from different uh, demographics. Um, so our faith inspires us what we do. Uh, so that's the fuel for the for our interaction with the community. Um, and yeah, so we're open to working with with any everyone and and and, and anyone. Um, so in terms of like, you know, before before COVID, like you know, you know, being privileged and fortunate to work in nine different boroughs, we get to work with you know different age young people. Um, and before COVID, we were working with you know, anything between 1,400 to 1,600 young people uh, a week, whether that was on the States, whether that was uh, within schools, whether that was one-to-one -one mentoring um, or, or sports sessions. 
And I think for us, there's been a massive, I guess for everyone else, but like a massive change in perspective. Um, so it's, you know, all of our work is face to face. And I think for a long time, the sector has frowned upon, uh, you know, engaging virtually. Um, and I think there has been a massive adjustment for us, you know, as an organization, how can we use uh, these tools that young people always use, you know? So a lot of times there's a massive golf, you know, as professionals, we might use social media and stuff in our personal lives. But when it comes to our professional lives, we don't use it to engage with young people. So I think there's been a massive shift for us. How do we meet the young people where they're at? And similar to what Ruth and Femi had said, like the, the goal and desire is still to impact those young people. So that hasn't changed, but we just had to change the method. Um, so in, 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 in changing the method and our, our perspective, um, we've been utilizing, you know, Zoom, and that's that's been a <laughs> I think everyone has. Um but yeah, so we've we've ran about six hundred and seventy two hours worth of uh youth work since the lockdown. Um and that looks like, you know, running hundred and forty nine sports sessions. So the sessions may take place via Zoom. So we'll have, you know, two youth workers, you know, leading that sports session with a, a cohort of young people or um, there has been one-to-one, almost like face-to-face uh, sports sessions, but obviously observing the government guidelines. So that might be a sports worker has, a, you know, maybe 10 to 15 young people that he will work with, um, you know, maybe in the park and, you know, um, obviously observing the, the guidelines. And then we run in our tutoring sessions and that's been massive for us. Like, you know, uh, the, the one-to-one uh, literacy and numeracy numeracy mm. sessions and we've had you know you would think or some people would think our oh, young people don't want to engage in education you know this is a free time put their feet up but you know we've seen a massive spike in numbers um in terms of young people engaging similar to Femi we've been running house party sessions um with a consistent group um and our our Instagram live sessions um so we have a, a, a an arts page you know, arts uh, reach that we usually do when we do face to face, we work in the schools and put on showcases. So we've had to adapt that to our Instagram live. I've been really happy because it's allowed me to kind of get involved. Um, and then uh, kind of like TikTok, yeah, been doing some TikTok. No, no. No, okay. I'm not there yet. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> I ain't tickle talking. Um, but uh, yeah, and even like gaming. So that was something that we were like, okay, how can we engage? gaming in a safe way you know what games would be appropriate to use and you know we have we've got like 96 hours worth of gaming um on on ps4 nintendo switch um and we're just gonna uh start using playstation um, um xbox xbox sorry yeah yeah xbox and yeah also just running like group discussions as well so there, there's a lot that's been been happening and i think during this time, it's caused every youth worker or everyone within the organization mm. to tap into a creative talent that they might mm. usually have, but not use day to day. Or, you know, they might have skills that they use in their personal life, but they're able to, to bring it to work um, or having to tap in and find something new within. So I think on a whole, like, you know, as, as an organization, we, we've adapted you know, we went through that period of kind of like adjusting. Um, now I feel like we've got a, a, a steady, a steady rhythm. And then each day we send out, um, like on, on our Instagram and all, all the other platforms, uh, a breakdown of the sessions that are happening that day on the different platforms and different timings. Um, yeah, so young people know what how to access us. I mean, it's so encouraging just to see like all of you have said some stuff which is just so well adapted to the times that we're in and it feels like actually when it comes to young people this is their world anyway mm. like the, the virtual it's us as as adults who are having to adapt and you know uh, and you really work out the ones who are struggling with with the technology i suppose there's some challenges which i've seen um <clears throat> so all of you have said in different ways you use zoom or you know whether it's microsoft teams or whatever it is um, and I know at the beginning of this process, there was a massive conversation about how actual, actually how safe this stuff is. Because mm-hmm. um, even with me, 
I remember downloading House Party for my children to stay to engage with their kids, their friends. And there was a couple of times when we hadn't got the settings quite right, and then one of my mates would just pop up on, in the house party, and the kids would be screaming like, "Ah, some guys, <laughs> some guys just turned up in our, in, in our talk." I was like, "Wow!" So we deleted the app, and it was it was just long, but definitely feels like that's one issue. And another issue which I picked up is not every young person who we've engaged with or people I know, their families haven't necessarily got the technology. So mm-hmm. they haven't necessarily got the mobile phones or the Playstations or the Xbox or the laptops or even mobile phone data or even a mobile phone. Like, it really surprised me. Like, you know, so there's some challenges. I just wondered what challenges, if any, you guys have seen in this process. Because at the moment, it all sounds very, very positive, And that's good. Um, but are there any challenges and how have you kind of got around those challenges? I'm happy for anybody to crack, start that one. Um, I'd say w- one of the challenges that we've been experiencing, and I just didn't even think in this way, but the differences in people's Wi-Fi strengths is an actual problem. Yes. You know, um, and you, you don't really have that much power to, to affect that. You know, I've been doing, I never thought I'd be doing countless research on how to improve a kid's Wi-Fi for them, mm. you know? But mm. then you start talking about, you know, have you turned off every device in the house? You know, have you called up your providers? I mean, I've managed to fix about seven Wi-Fi issues just by saying, call up the provider. I think it's broken. All of these speed checkers. But, you know, I think what one of the beautiful things about, you know, face-to-face contact is you don't have lagging and glitching in the middle of a serious conversation. Yeah. And, and you, can't, you can't underestimate how, how massive that is just to have a free-flowing conversation. There's something very wobbling about, I don't know if this person just heard what I said, yeah. which really does affect and kill the vibe of the conversation. So that's been something that we've been tackling and dealing with. And then, of course a lot of that, what I'm talking about, is actually the deeper effect of it is the more money you spend on your Wi-Fi, the stronger the connection can be. Maybe that disparity in the connection strength is actually linked to an economic disparity. And we never want to be a body that is being exclusive to people that Mm -hmm. can afford it and exclusive to those that can't. So Mm -hmm. I think it's easy, particularly in London, for example, what poverty and, you know, lack of funding looks like is very different in London to what it looks like in the rest of the world. And one of the ways it can show that disparity is your connection strength and what your, your parents in our young people's case are able to afford. So that's something I've been battling with. Haven't really found the answer apart from all of the trivial, you know, have you turned the TV off? You know, have you turned all the other phones off? And, you know, communicating with parents, if it's a Wi-Fi thing, let's everyone flight mode apart from that device so we can have that moment. But, yeah, that's one of the challenges, definitely. Yeah, no, that's, that's really, really insightful. And it's something I hadn't thought about, but it's really, really good. Um, Milka, I'm going to bring you in. What's your kind of experiences around challenges? Um, I think, yeah, like Femi said, challenges of not having face-to-face contact um, and not like not everyone wants to do zoom or facetime so it's just having a normal conversation but then again you don't you don't get to see the visual face to face um and you don't have an in-depth or as much as an in-depth of, com- of a conversation as you would face to face as well um yeah just i think consistency of contacts like the therapeutic element is difficult to do over the phone i've worked on a helpline before so i i can have a conversation if, if someone's in a crisis point but I think it's also difficult when it's someone that you've been working with for a period of time. Um, yeah, I think overall just kind of, yeah, contact in terms of consistency um, and face-to-face as well. And just on the prison side of stuff, because obviously we take that for granted massively, our freedom. Um, yeah. Even though we're in lockdown, there's a freedom that we all have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and if I do want to FaceTime any of you or Zoom any of you, it can be done. Yeah. How do you think the uh, the guys and 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 the girls possible? Well, the guy you work mainly with men, don't you? Yeah. Um, how 
what's the impact knowing that actually they're not going to be able to see their families, um, that, that contact which might have been weekly, um, how has that impacted? Because I, I can imagine, you know, if, you, if you're relying on that one meeting once a week and that's coming and that's something which is keeping you going depending on the stretch you're doing and now it's been taken away. Um, are they allowed to engage virtually with people or is it just too, is the security risk too high? So as far as I know, virtually, from my knowledge, is not happening just because there is no Wi-Fi data. I think some private prisons might have cell phones, so they might have a phone in their cells, but majority of prisons won't. So just from my overall work of prisons, when there's a lockdown and people are not released in terms of they don't get their free flow you're just frustrated. You're in a cell. Some people are in a cell with someone else. So you're, you know, you're in a cell with two people and that kind of just builds up. So my fear or what I'm thinking about is actually just impact in terms of if some of the guys have children, they don't have that contact with their children, partners, and depending on, you know, just family stuff that some people actually don't cope well when they're not having that contact with their missus, for example. Um, so I definitely think the kind of contacts with family or just somebody else outside of the person they're with is, will have like, in my, in my opinion, will definitely have some impact. Mental health, kind of the stress and kind of being, we're kind of, all of us are on a collective trauma, if that makes sense, all at different kind of capacities and intensities. But for someone that might have, you know, being in a cell might be triggering just because you're just there. 23 hours a day predominantly it might be triggering for lots of different reasons it might be things in childhood it might be just the fact that something has happened and you have to sit in that feeling and you can't distract yourself as much as maybe we can here we have internet we can you know go out for a walk for an hour um yeah i think there's definitely there will be impact if you know Afterwards as well, after the whole COVID-19 and people are trying to go back into their education or doing the things that they were doing before, I think there will definitely be impact. And just kind of for your brain, you're kind of in the same, you have no stimulation of your brain. You are seeing the same walls, the mm. same environment for just prolonged period of time. Whereas before you would actually come out and you would yeah. have your socials and you'd go to education or go to work on the wing whatever that might be. Um, yeah, I'm, I definitely think there will be a massive just mental health kind of maybe trauma um, being kind of re-triggered in this kind of silence lockdown period, not just for the guys in prison, but everybody, even us as the helpers or the people that are doing the support work. Yeah. We are maybe depending on what's going on in our lives, we, you know, we might be triggered in this kind of position of helplessness no control, no power, and uncertainty, not knowing when this is going to end. And some people have lost family members and bereavement. It's just so much is going on as individuals, practitioners, as well as the people that we're working with. So I, can, I guess we're all in this kind of collective trauma, um, not just COVID-19, but just massive inequality as a whole as well. So that's, I mean, I, it's, it's so much I want to pull out on that, actually. Um, and I'll come to Ruth and Claude just to get your opinions, but everybody can jump in. I think that's a really good point that in this context around working with young people, young adults and whatever context, I think there is a real danger that the very people who are uh, delivering, helping the, the key workers may not be actually getting the support they need. Yeah. Um, so what's your experience with that? I mean, in... <clears throat> Outside of a church context, we would call that kind of like clinical supervision. Mm. Um, in, in a, maybe a, in a church context, that might be like pastoral care. But do you guys feel like you're getting that in your different in your different sectors and your different environments? Do you feel well supported? Because you're talking about you know emotional, uh, mental, physical health, um, and the fear and feeling of isolation, mm. um, which we've now said that all young people may well be feeling in some of the vulnerable families but how about you as workers do you feel you're getting that support and what type of things do you do just to keep yourself sane in this in this time and getting yourself ready to engage with your with your young people 
I think I, I'm, I'm happy to chip in here. Mm. I think really, really valid point. I'm, you know, sometimes it's we can, you know, think it's all about the young people and the family mm. that we work with, and which it is in one sense, and kind of negate and forget ourselves. Um, so for for myself, due to nature of my role, I have clinical supervision once a month, um, and that's that's really helpful. Just a an, uh, an outlet, whether it's work related, personal related, mm. um, and that just knowing that that space once a month is there for mm. me um, is is really helpful. Um, and yeah, sometimes the monotony of the day can you know can kind of get to you. And yeah. you know, so for me, little things I've I've started training again. You know, like just working out. That's been been really helpful. Um, going to the park in the morning. And just at the end of the day, maybe doing some arts and crafts with my son, you know, and we're, we're colouring in or we're drawing or we're making a black panther mask and I'm not having to think about anything else but hoping that the black pen doesn't run out or, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, that we're able to finish the task and he's happy. But, yeah, just, so just almost like I've been just trying to find little things that bring me joy mm. during the day. Um, and it might be, you know, listening to some, you know, music or writing some music. Um, but so just those little things have kind of helped help my well-being during this time. Um, and for our staff, like, you know, we provide, you know, supervision as well. So, you know, uh, people I manage, you know, I, I check in with them, yeah, on, on a regular basis. That's helpful. And Ruth, I mean, um, you, you work for a church. Um, I'm a pastor at a church as well as running my charity. So I know that clinical supervision is almost a bit of a dirty word in the church context because we, we just don't do it very well. Um, how have you been able to look after yourself pastorally in this time? Um, I think one of the things that we really wanted to do as a kind of staff team as a, as a church is, is kind of not have situations where people were isolated and just working, working, working because that when you're kind of trying to move community online there's so much that kind of has to happen around it that you're potentially constantly working throughout the week um, and one thing we've done is kind of set up a buddy system within the team so there'll be like someone in the team that you know we just check in like once a week and just have a chat and see how the other one's doing which is really nice and um, so that's been a good thing um one thing I need to do is set up a, a chat with um I recently got a spiritual director um, I still kind of don't really know exactly what that relationship is meant to be, but it is like, like Claude said, just knowing that there's a bit of time to talk about stuff, pray and kind of just like get anything out. And it is, it is a bit tricky because, you know, my, my own individual line manager is like having to do so much um, around this time because as well as the kind of spiritual kind of, pastoring a church aspect of things as the whole community side of things where you need to be able to liaise and sort things out like food deliveries and, and different things like that so they're really stretched so it's really good to have other people that you can check in with mm -hmm. um, I'm going to be teaching myself how to do some watercolour painting I don't have any skills in that but that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be a new journey and like maybe some music stuff <clears throat> but yeah just trying to have little little points at which you can just take time out and deep yeah. your breath. That's always a, a good thing. Yeah, no, and that's helpful. Femi, similar? Is that a similar vibe? Um, well, um, one of the, the best things I would say about being part of, so leading a youth group, which is actually part of a church, is there's a body that is a support system for you as the youth leader. So it's, 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 it's appropriate to mention I'm not the only youth leader. I may maybe one of the ones that lead it, but you know, there's 20 other youth leaders that are all there. And then every Tuesday I have a meeting with one of the pastors in the church with another youth leader. And that meeting can be anything from how you're dealing with no football to how is your mental health? And, you know, we can get into whatever direction that needs to go. And I felt like that for me has been really key and just almost looking out and looking after me and I think one, one thing that I've noticed about this isolation is we depend on our schedule to interact with certain people. But now that that's been taken away, it would be very easy for me not to speak to my mum for seven weeks because I'm not going to bump into her at church anymore. Mm. 
you know? And so, and it's not quite the same if you see her pop up on a YouTube comment during church, you know? So then I've been really rigid with, I must call, you know, nan and granddad on this day. Mm. I call dad on this day. I call mum on this day. And just being, I feel like being restricted can bring a freedom. So Mm. in the restrictions that I've got in place, you're going to practice the drums for this long. You're going Mm. to write a new song on Wednesday. Whether it's good or not, it doesn't matter. But Mm. all of those kind of restrictions I've put in place has allowed my brain to have a kind of freedom. One book a week, you know, go for a run. You're aiming for this, you know. So that's kind of how I've been coping with it. But like you were saying, I think it's just so important that you have people pouring into you because pouring out into young people is draining. Mm. And so, you know, setting up that regular meeting with the pastor, pastors in my church has really, really been a massive support system for myself. Yeah, that's, that's again, really helpful. Um, and Milka, do you get do you, do you get clinical supervision or or? So I'm freelance at the moment, so I haven't. But I've just started a new role with Abianda, um, freelance trainer and practitioner for two days a week. So I will get clinical supervision in that role. I've actually got one coming up soon. Um, I think I've used this time to kind of I've I've slowed down. I'm kind of gearing myself up, ready for the aftermath of. COVID-19 and the work that I'll be doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I've, I've kind of slowed down, not purposely, but things have slowed down generally in terms of my work. I'm still doing consultations, bits and pieces. So I've had more time for myself. I'm kind of just really spending time cooking more, started baking. I don't bake. Like just stuff like that. Like, I've, you know, I started training, just doing bits and pieces. Um, yeah, just kind of getting myself ready emotionally, for the work that I will do, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I know it will pick up and there's so much that needs to be done. Um, so yeah, just having a bit more time for myself, which in a really, I never have time for myself. So it's been nice. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's, let's on that point. <clears throat> and obviously we, there's, there's five of us, so we could have this conversation all day. Um, but I suppose the last thing I really want to just gauge from you guys <clears throat> is exactly what you said there, Milka, about what is coming. Yeah. Um, so I talk to quite a lot of people, whether that is MPs, whether that's people in the violence reduction unit, whether it's young people, whether it's practitioners. And there is a sense or at least a concern that with lockdown and with the restrictions, which as adults we've all struggled with in different ways and Mm. some of us have adapted better than others there's a fear that young people um will react in a in a different way so you know the social distancing uh regulations and rules which are in place and there's tends to be a bit of a fear that uh, if we don't get this right there's a risk of what we saw in 2011 with the Mm. with the uk riots um that's a fear which i know some people I'm really genuinely concerned about. I suppose the question I've got is, is a two is, is a two pronged one. What's your sense? Are you picking up from young people that there is this frustration and something something's bubbling? So I suppose the second question is, what do you feel we are coming into? Not coming out of lockdown or coming out of COVID because I'm not sure we are really going to come out of it in like let's go back to normal. I'm not sure that's what's going to happen. But clearly, when we do come out of what we're in at the moment, it's going to be a different world. What what's the sense that we're getting from young people? The feeling um, from them are the concerns from those in authority warranted? Um, I think. I think uh, to answer your question, the impression that I'm getting from young people, and this is just based on the kids that I've been speaking to, one thing that I've actually, I think I've started to notice is this isolation hasn't hit them in its full capacity yet. And I think that is going to begin in the summer. Mm. For many children, um, I take about, we take a, a lot of kids to the Christian Camp New Day Festival. Mm. Now, New Day got cancelled about two weeks ago, uh, uh, maybe just before, officially cancelled. I think it was Easter Friday. Um, they officially cancelled it. That was the first thing 
that upset any of these kids by way of lockdown. Mm-hmm. Now, to me, a professional, I'm thinking, I've been unemployed for four weeks. How are you only having your first moment of upset right now? You know, I've, so I've, yeah. I've asked, and I, an- another conversation that I found very interesting was I asked a kid, year seven boy, very fond of him, and I said, how, how are things going during lockdown? And he looked at me and he said, it's, it's great. I said, excuse me? He said, yeah, I've been just playing PlayStation like all day and I love it. And what that actually showed me was children's social life hasn't been affected nearly as much as adults have. I think you're, you're more likely to find a 12-year-old willing to spend all day on a screen than maybe a 22-year-old who's just raring to go to the pub or something. So... I think in the way it's going to affect young people hasn't quite happened yet. And I think it's going to happen in the summer. And then to answer the second point part of your question, where do I think it's going? I think, I think in a way the respect for certain types of authority has shifted. I think what they've become used to is maybe the, the what's coming from the government not actually ringing as loudly in their ears you know, okay, so there is, is there a lockdown? Isn't there a lockdown? And I think that, that confusion that has been brought upon the whole country has filtered into young people. And I think in past times when young people would take maybe the word of what the government has said quite highly, I think the word of their head teacher that was on Google Classrooms to them the entire lockdown might actually ring louder. Maybe the opinion of their pastor that was preaching to them every Sunday through lockdown might actually weigh in harder than necessarily what they see on the news because what they're seeing on the news has been contradicted in a, I mean, for a young person that lives where I live, for example, you've been told you can't go to school because it's not safe. If you go with mum to Peckham, it's going to be quite confusing because as my, I, I mean, I love Peckham, but it's hard to work out if there is a lockdown or not in Peckham. And I'm not singling out that. I'm not singling out that place because I went to Greenwich as well and Greenwich Park looked like business as normal. So when you've taken school away, but this is all still available, I think that confusion is going to, to mix up how they look at authority. And I do think it will shift slightly, but that's just, you know, a perspective that I've formed, you know, in this room talking to them on screen. So who knows, you know? Really helpful. Anybody else? Yeah, I think um, just the... So what we've seen sometimes during this time is that the dwindling motivation that young people have, have, have had and just kind of like the lack of, uh, I would say, I guess exuberance and energy to do anything um, and the monotony just causing like a lack of structure, a lack of routine and, you know... Um, you know, some might be engaging in school, but some might not be. Um, and just, I think that when we come out of this, it's almost like, how do young people, you know, uh, re regain that, 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 that motivation, re, you know, reignite that passion, whether it is for learning or whether it was for a hobby that they were doing. So I think that's going to be that transition period. How, how do we as professionals, um, as a community, help young people to, to, to maybe regain that focusness. Um, Cause I think, yeah, as Femi said, I don't think it's hit a lot of young people. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge for them to kind of get back into a, into a routine um, and, and, you know, uh, embrace structure. Um, so I think there's going to be a, a massive onus on, I guess, you know, us as a community and as workers yeah. to kind of re, re, it's almost like re-educate, reintroduce the importance of, a, of, of structure and how that will help them, their future, their, their current here and now and their, their well-being. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do kind of wonder um, what a lot of them will feel like in terms of the kind of disruption that's happened in terms of like their school year. Um, and even just simple things like friendships, like they've, they've just been so separated and the way in which they would normally interact with their friends has been completely different. And maybe for some, when we were talking about that disparity of like connection and things like that, maybe that's been really hard for them to maintain friendships as well. Um, so I think 
some young people might find that really difficult like coming back into their school environment maybe leaving and going to different schools where like they had been kind of you know coming into like teenage years and then going well actually my friendship group's completely different I didn't get to keep in touch with these people I'm in a whole new situation and then just feeling a little bit like a, a duck out of water like how fish out of water mixing up analogies but like <laughs> just like not really knowing where they fit um it's interesting though because at the minute I feel like a lot of the young people that I see are actually just quite drained by this stuff and you know we're relatively early on and this type of interaction a lot of people are feeling quite drained and they don't always want to interact in this way mm. um like someone said earlier that you know we're coming into their virtual world but they're doing school on like zoom or, or teams or whatever kind of all day and then they're being expected to come in and do something social and some of them just I don't want to do it and they're just feeling really drained and like I don't know what toll this is going to have on them for you know however long we're going to need to keep doing this um I just think it's it's more draining than we realize I think for a, a lot of them yeah yeah uh, Milka any any thoughts I think um maybe I'm I'm gonna probably I'm normally the optimistic one in the room but I think I might sound a bit pessimistic now um I'm just seeing it from like a overview helicopter view I'm thinking of impact in terms of economically just what job opportunities will there be for young people unemployment rates kind of going up and also just we're talking about you know the world here where we're kind of talking about overall economically but actually stuff going on on road people are still selling drugs now that doesn't stop if that makes sense if, if there's a pandemic so just the impact on the job opportunities and the kind of the real world but also impact of just the drug you know the drug streams and what will happen there and yeah I'm just kind of seeing in my mind just the overview of it and how things I feel like things are definitely bubbling I think my my I, I feel, I guess, is that violence will probably increase in prisons, probably in the community as well. That's just my take on things. Um, yeah. Just the kind of, yeah, I guess is that it's the kind of panic of resources, people trying to survive. And that's the kind of the, the bottom line of, you know, survival mode in terms of food, shelter, basic needs. Um, I think that will definitely have a bigger long lasting impact in terms of even after the, you know, the health scare is gone. I think there is going to be a massive impact in terms of everything else that, um, that is happening, I guess, economically, socially, um, just inequality as a whole will <clears throat> definitely increase and it will affect, you know, communities that are from Afro-Caribbean or other ethnic minorities more. Um, yeah, I'm just seeing like a, it's like a, a, a soup <laughs> boiling and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm seeing that. I, I guess I'm kind of gearing myself ready to kind of, yeah, respond to that if, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Support that, prevent that in that kind of. I think it's, it's so many great points. You, you know, and I wish we had a lot longer because I think when you start talking about violence, um, so from what we're seeing from our research is that, naturally locked down when I talk to police officers and when I talk to young people and youth workers definitely locked down initially violence went down yeah um but now I haven't spoken to surgeons recently um in the last few weeks they are seeing a massive rise in yeah. in in knife um offenses and people coming in with knife injuries and stuff so it's and from what I'm picking up you know the drug market it's become a lot more expensive yeah you know so demand, demand exactly all that stuff so the demand is higher people are in more people want to smoke more or whatever yeah. um and if you're smart you're going to add an extra some extra money on top of that so yeah. or even uh, like or even you know try to take stuff from other people yeah. you know uh yeah i think the underbelly of what we're talking about is almost like yeah, it's a it's a deeper, deeper, darker world out, you know, un, underneath. And we're looking at drug trade and violence, and you know, uh, you know, prices being raised in drugs, and you know, the spike spike in crime. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's a that's a, that's another that's that's another level, uh, yeah. very layered. That's that's yeah. very very layered work. 
and none of this stuff has disappeared. I think yeah. somebody mentioned, I think it was you, Milko, about the impact on particularly, I don't like the term BAME and I don't like the term I BAME. So I'm just going to say, I'm going to say black and brown communities. That's yeah. probably the best way I can put it for the time being. But even that conversation is one which is a bigger one. Yeah. Just uh, if, if we are seeing, I mean, no, it's Femi, it's interesting what you're saying. I went for a run this morning and I, my route normally for those who don't know South East London and watching this, will be, it will take in uh, Lewisham Borough and then Southwark. So I've got to go through Peckham. Mm. Then I've got to go through Camberwell. Then I'll go through Oval. And then you're going into Central. So what you, what, anytime I get to Camberwell and Peckham. It's the same route I do actually. Yeah. So you can see, so this morning it was rammed, but it was like 6.30 in the morning and it was rammed. And, and and interestingly, you know, the people who I... Actually, I went out at 5.30, so the people I'm seeing at the bus stops are black and brown people. That's all I'm seeing. So mm. in whether they're uh, tube or train drivers or bus drivers or whether... whether you know, I don't know what work. Maybe they're clean. I don't know mm. what it was, but they're the only people I'm seeing as I'm going mm. past each bus stop on my route into, into central mm. London. So... I'm seeing it with my own eyes. Um, and then we talk about why COVID is impacting um, black and brown communities the highest at the moment. A lot of it does come down to economics and poverty. Yeah. So this is, so going back to full circle to the question, it's kind of like, well, what world are we coming into? Mm. Um, I think one thing I would have, I also I had another conversation with a youth worker over the weekend. And what she was saying to me was just how, if we've got this equation of, Black and brown people seem to be being impacted by this the most. But we can't actually bury our, our family or our friends in the way that we would normally do. There's a psychological impact. So, you know, in different communities, there's nine nights yeah. or, you know, the way we celebrate our, 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 our deceased is very different to maybe classic English white culture. We can't do that. So the psychological impact on, on the communities around us, you only just got to troll through social media to know how it's hard to, to how do you bury your, you know, and even different cultures like uh, Islamic culture, they can't do the washing of the body in the same way. And it's just, so I think, I think, I think there's like a massive potential uh, psychological impact when we come out of this. Um, but so we don't leave it on a on a negative. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's no, no, it's real. It's real. And I, and I, I have to good. keep it. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 not at all. It's hundred percent, and it's important for people to hear that. I suppose just to close, if there was something you would want to leave us with, mm. uh, in terms of, I suppose that's actually an interesting question. If you had an opportunity to talk to the decision makers. Um, whether that's MPs, whether that's violence reduction unit people, whether that's people who are decision-making policy makers in, in, around the youth sector, if you had one thing to say uh, which you thought would make a massive difference, what would it be? I didn't prep any of you for this question. So <laughs> this, is, this, is, this, is, this is on the spot moment. Um, I think if I was to, to speak to the policy makers and decision makers, I would approach would be people that are invested in young people be it head teachers be it youth workers be it that that line of people that make decisions I would love to speak to them if I could and if I could what I would say is though everything every system we are used to has changed the motive for what we want for young people should not mm. change and it's about us adapting so that we can still install a future and a hope regardless of what the economic, economic situation after this is going to look like, the psychological situation after this should look like, it's going to be wild and it's going to be difficult. But I think our motives for what we want for young people shouldn't change. And so to keep on focused on being innovative so that we can still have that happen. That's pretty good. It's big. Hmm. Anyone else? I would, I would say that um, if they if they could really understand the importance of value and valuing people on the front line. Mm. Um, and it, you know, it's sad that it's taken 
this to happen to really understand that there are caring, passionate, you know, committed individuals that are in the in society making an impact and helping, you know, young people, old people, um, and that the people on the front line they should they they should be valued and that should not just be like in words, but that's also should be in deeds. So like financially, like they're they're being a look at like the wages that individuals are on, mm-hmm. whether that is within the NHS, whether that is youth workers in the, the charity sector. Um, so I think that's really important because, you know, people are, you know, in, in, in some cases risking their lives, mm-hmm. you know, to, Im- to impact and save other lives. Um, so that will be one thing that I would say value, not just in, 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 in word, but also indeed there being some record, um, uh, yeah, some financial, uh, uh, changes and then also just doing some research there are youth organizations that are out there and you know whether it's you know charities um, whether it's churches there are people already doing work and for them to, to 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 invest in the work that is already being done and being done well um and that though this has happened we still care for the young people um and they should get alongside that yeah, I think that's a good point. We, we like it's too much reinventing the wheel at, yeah. at the moment, and and it's just a waste of time and energy. So that's a that's a good point, Ruth. Um, I hope I can find a way of articulating this properly. But um, I think with the whole um, pandemic issue, it's kind of highlighted a lot of things in society that haven't been working. Um, kind of showing where like the real needs are and mm. causing the government to have to go oh we need to somehow step up otherwise society is going to crumble and I think to recognize that they can't just drop that when it, it seems that things are kind of more stable they have to recognize that that st- stuff still doesn't work and there needs to be better ways of, of um, doing things like socioeconomically for the people that are in the most need but kind of with that recognizing that just the impact that that has on young people. I think often there's this kind of young people and young people's issues as a separate thing, completely compartmentalised and separate from whatever else is going on in society. And actually, it's just so interlaced and interconnected. Um, And I think just being aware that when they're able to invest in the kind of communities and the families that are kind of most vulnerable, um, then actually they're doing so much more for young people and impacting on things like serious youth violence and kind of educational attainment and all of those other things. I think they need to see how the, the two kind of go hand in hand. And I think that will be a really important thing. That's brilliant. That's really good. Milka. Um, it's hard to put it into one thing, but if I could use maybe two words, it might be, I guess, power and freedom. I know it might just sound like it's out there, but power and freedom in a sense of power to have the resources to do the work that needs to be done, um, the freedom to be able to kind of use those resources for grassroots organizations, individuals, community, kind of people, part of the community that are actually doing the work. Um, sometimes if there are massive you know, organizations doing work, but not everyone will kind of engage in a natural way, like, you know, going to a charity, going to meet a mentor. There's a lot of things that we can do that might not be traditional um, in the way that we work with young people and people that are impacted. Um, So, yeah, I think the freedom of having not just grassroots, but individuals that are within communities that can do the work, um, kind of empowering them and empowering communities together to kind of, um, yeah, overcome the kind of, issues, whether it's social economically, whether it's kind of inequality, empowering communities is what I would say is kind of giving the resources, empowering communities and giving the communities the freedom to kind of use those resources. Mm. Um, it's hard to have the top down. We've had that, for, you know, we, we're kind of in a rat race of doing that. And I mean that from, it's, it's really important to kind of hear the ground level, the communities that are impacted the most, hear their voices, really listen take on those actions rather than, you know, somebody up top kind of deciding on what the kind of um, support people need. There's culturally different ways of engaging with different people, different faiths, recognizing all of these differences 
but also empowering those people within those communities to do the work as yeah. well. I think that's something that I would leave with. Well, I think that's a good way to end because that's mm -hmm. our tagline. We want to empower communities to end youth violence and we definitely want to create what we would call cross-fertilisation. Yeah. Uh, Co-produce, co-design responses to, to, the, to the particular issue around youth violence, but I think that concept can be even for what we're talking about. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I feel like we need to do a part two just to get into all your own personal stories because I know so much about all of you and the world needs to know more as well because you're all amazing people. Um, but thank you so much. Um, keep going with everything you're doing. I think probably it's mad when you think about all the people that you are connected and working with, it's in its thousands, you know? Um, so you are doing a, a great service for London and beyond. So keep going. God bless you. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Bless, man. Thank, thanks, thanks, man. Thanks, thanks, man. Love to be with you guys. Maybe. Lovely to meet all of you. Yeah, man. We'll catch up, man. 100%. Thank bless. you. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Yeah.